Tom, we've officially started a podcast. We are three seconds in to the first ever episode of Gamcast. I'm running with Gamcast. My name is Marty Bent. I am the director of business development at Great American Mining. I'm sitting down with Tom Mazzaro, co-founder and man who does a little bit of everything at Great American Mining. Tom, how are we doing this morning? My body is ready. So is mine. So, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be a fun first episode. Gamcast, we're starting this podcast because we basically just want to create a content arm of what we're doing. Uh, one of our main ideals at Great American Mining over the last three years is being as transparent as possible as we can with ourselves at the team level, um, with any of our partners, whether it be uh, producers in the field, people in the mining industry helping us get hardware. It's something we, we pride ourselves on. We want to be as transparent as possible. And part of transparency is, is being uh, out in the open and explaining what we're doing with people who are interested, people who are in the industry, um, and those who, who simply want to learn more about what we believe is going to be a revolutionary um, trend in the oil and gas sector, specifically for what we do as a company, but even in general beyond what we're doing, the energy sector as a whole. Um, so I think we can start, Tom. I, I think whenever we're on calls, uh, you do the best job of describing the history of Great American Mining, how it came to be, and how we stumbled into this niche area where, where we're using wasted, stranded, or undervalued gas as a power source to mine Bitcoin. Yeah, I think I think the word to hold on to there in that description is stumbled. Um, I think like lots of people who stumble into the, you know, kind of Bitcoin world, um, that's an appropriate description. We, uh, and first of all, I would just say that, um, and I think, you know, I think that's why we've always gotten along so good and just kind of melded together is like, none of us are experts any of this like uh and, and i'm sure like that's one of the themes that will come out um you know here in the like the next years there's going to be lots of people who are, are going to act like they've got this all figured out but i think that's what's so fascinating to us is uh, in general when i say us i mean gam is that this is such a burgeoning industry that we really don't even know what it's going to look like uh six months from now a year from now and eight years from now and so uh, you know, our journey is, you know, probably not too different uh, in terms of it not being intentional at first. You know, we, uh, our parent company is a company called buysellads.com, which is a, you know, kind of little, you know, indiscriminate um, solo uh, founded um, ad tech business that was founded by Todd Garland. I joined that team back in 2013 when it was only 12 or 13 of us. I think there's now about 60 people at buy sell ads right now and uh he's you know built profitable um solo funded businesses uh has competed against venture capitalist backed businesses for the past you know 15 years and we really stumbled into bitcoin by accident um you know we we produce a product a software um white labeled service that allowed publishers to basically have a uh, kind of a widget on their site that allowed people to buy advertising directly from them. And then we did all the magic behind the scenes. So we worked with Reddit and uh, uh, Stack Exchange and a bunch of other sites. And 
basically Roger Ver, which is kind of <laughs> kind of funny, um, approached us about four or five years ago. It, that, well, that that was actually longer, and said, "Hey, I want what you guys are doing, but I want to accept Bitcoin through it." We really didn't have any, you know, deep background or uh, any inclination to do anything, um, but. Uh, he was very persistent. He was big time Bitcoin evangelist at that point. And so uh, he kind of pushed us into it. And we, you know, kind of accepted, a, a, we had a payment platform that allowed Bitcoin to go, you know, magically through and buy these ads. And we found ourselves in a cottage industry where we ended up having most of the top crypto sites that you now visit were clients of ours. Um, and that was kind of our, like our genesis in terms of like trying to understand this magical internet money more and then that led us to buying miners at the top of the bull market in 2016 2017 uh which was a very expensive mistake and i think we met soon thereafter yes we did we met we met like april 2018 um was when you came to new york for consensus we met at that that dinner in midtown and yeah you pulled me you pulled me into to the great american mining dream uh at the time i was working for barstool so that's what yeah i left barstool to come work here and uh i i like to say great american mining was in like a quasi stealth mode for for the first two years as we were stumbling into our current situation um which was a journey so you just mentioned we bought miners potentially the worst time dragonments a bunch of them um during the bull market and we got them, then we had to figure out how to how to plug them in, which led us to um, a huge aha moment, which maybe should have been obvious from the onset, which is uh, we're going to need abundant and cheap energy, which is the main problem we're trying to solve or have been trying to solve um, for, for a couple of years. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things uh, that we were very naive, and I think that that's actually an, a... a, a a, a mark of people who can do innovative things in industries they're not related to. So perfect example is Todd, our founder, backed into ad tech because he was a developer and a, and a front-end designer um, or a front-end developer and a designer. And he just wanted to allow people to buy ads off of or sponsorships off of his tutorial site. And he didn't want to deal with like customers. So he just made this you know, kind of widget slash portal that made it all automated. And then he ends up becoming, you know, an ad tech person around it. Um, I think we were naive in, in, in terms of, you know, a similar kind of journey. We didn't understand what it took to actually develop an infrastructure to plug these machines in. You can't just run a bunch of extension cords and have a, you know, a couple outlets and you're good to go. That's just not how it works. Um, we ended up, you know, going down many different rabbit holes from, you know, people with, you know, supposed perpetual motion machines. Uh, I use that term kind of loosely, but, you know, these type of folks we were talking to, um, we looked at buying power behind the grid from um, uh, energy producers um, that had like down off peak time. This is back in like 26, yeah, 2017 when we first started. So like right away, we still knew like, you know what, like we saw the constraints of what the, if we were on grid, what would happen and kind of like there wasn't an, an easy way to arbitrage the price because the real power players, similar to the oil and gas market, are the people in the middle connecting 
each other, which is the, the power companies and the power lines. That's where they make all their money. You could buy power directly from XYZ hydro facility, but by the time you got it and had to pay all the transportation fees, it was the price was too high to make sense, uh, you know, investing all the infrastructure. And likewise, it's similar in the oil and gas market because you have to deal with midstream providers who provide that same level of like taxation in the middle layer um, once a producer, um, you know, pulls it up from the ground. So it was kind of that mental framework originally of saying, okay, we want to go behind the grid, which eventually led us to uh, thinking about helping um, the, you know, helping out oil and gas producers on the flaring side of things. Mm-hmm. And that was an even, I want to say it was an epiphany. What was it when, when REIT, our head engineer, um, chemical engineer, petro engineer, um, just had a conversation in passing at a state fair, correct? With a, with a buddy who, who sort of opened up the door to have us, uh, build a prototype from for mining off waste gas yeah i um yeah it, it was like constraints uh that you know todd's a big believer in you know kind of constraints pushing people into innovation and you know we were a very lean team i think at that point i think there was like two or three of us or two people full-time and then you know uh todd and i were just trying to figure out like how to keep it going and we were at a point where we were re- really ready just to kind of not fold up shop, but from a perspective of um, um, going at it from, hey, we're not going to be this innovative company. We're just going to buy machines and go plug it into a third party. And we had given the guys essentially like a 60 day window to figure it out or we're going to pull the plug. And REIT was at the Utah uh petroleum industry, you know, some type of state fair where a lot of the oil and gas fields are. And I had a conversation with uh, uh, a service provider there who, you know, had a flare at his place and they struck up a conversation while kids were wrestling pigs in a pig pen and, uh, and the rest is history. (laughs) Yeah. So we went up and we set up, that was a water treatment site, correct? Yeah, correct. So like in different basins, these are all things I've learned over the past couple of years, but in different basins, you have different levels of things that get pulled out of the ground um, when they're doing fracking uh, or when, when it's a shale play. And specifically in Utah, there's a high level of water to gas or water to oil um, that gets pulled up. So there's a need for these water, uh, they call it wastewater treatment services that will come in, truck it all off site, and then deal with it in some type of environmental friendly way to kind of clean it and re you know reintroduce it back into like the aquifer systems and stuff so um when they bring that water back over to these treatment facilities they have to run it through this whole process where they're stripping out the chemicals and um inside you know that water there's a you know decent amount of um gas um and it's obviously all over the spectrum. It's not very clean, natural gas. It's very dirty, but it was enough for them to produce a flare uh, daily. And that uh, because of the regulations in Utah, they they were, you know, potentially going to face fines because of that. And so, you know, this was a situation where we just said, Hey, let's see if we can scratch your itch or make your headache go away. Yeah. And it's, led us down a pretty crazy journey. It turns out that we were able to scratch that itch pretty successfully with a, with a pretty 
chicken shack prototype. Adam Adam Back would be proud, I think, of of the prototype we put together out there. Oh yeah, yeah, and and even the construction of it. I mean, I remember when we first started building it. It was essentially in one of Reet's friends' backyards, who had like you know a kind of a work area where we could weld and use a plasma cutter. Um, and uh, his wife was gracious enough to allow you know Reet and Isaac to kind of live there for about a month and and build this unit. Yeah. And so the unit was built, successfully worked, and boom, we found what we believe is a reliable source of abundant and relatively cheap energy, um, which is the waste gas throughout the basins in, in the United States and even Canada as well. Um, and so since then, we've been basically iterating on that, on that first prototype and, and launching containers in, in fields and at midstream providers uh, across the Bakken predominantly. Um, and we, we think we're, gonna, we're very excited for 2021 and what it has in store. Uh, we believe at Great American Mining that, that there is a tipping point that we're sort of, I think we've passed and uh, the, the legitimacy of Bitcoin in the eyes of the public um, is, is becoming more and more uh, established. Uh, you have hedge fund managers, uh, corporate CEOs, athletes being comfortable not only to uh, invest and store some of their wealth in Bitcoin, but talk about it very publicly and openly, which is good. And, and I think uh, this cultural tipping point is leading to people in other industries taking it more seriously, specifically the oil and gas industry. So we believe um, that that things are, are going to start accelerating here in 2021 as as more and more people begin to to really understand the opportunity that that lies be ahead of them uh, to integrate bitcoin mining into their operations specifically when you take into consideration what happened in 2020 um with uh, the saudis and, and russians playing supply games on top of uh forced economic shutdowns that really crushed demand um, and, re and really showed the the shale industry here in the United States to be to be a bit vulnerable and a bit anti-fragile, if you will, not as resilient as it could possibly be. So I'm actually writing a piece right now um, for Great American Mining, and I thought a great way to, to do this first episode would be to basically talk about the piece, which is part of our thesis, is that um, here at Great American Mining, we've honed in on a couple of areas in the oil and gas industry and the Bitcoin network space um, that we believe could be more resilient and um, can help each other out in the process by making each area of each um, each industry more resilient. And so I think to introduce what we're doing, um, this is a good way to do that. And I think an, another, um, I don't want to say caveat, but another thing to take into consideration, and I think Tom alluded to it a bit earlier, is that nobody's an expert here. We're learning. Um, we do have uh, quite a few individuals on the team who have experience in the oil and gas industry, but myself uh, and Tom, I think Tom, I think your, your experience over the last couple of years, I think you can say that you do have like some oil industry experience, but me, I'm coming more from the Bitcoin side. So just to, to put the conversation we're about to have in context is the way we're viewing it. Um, and, and we're pretty confident that this, a lot of this stuff makes a lot of sense. So 
if you guys are listening to this, you're in the oil and gas industry and you have any feedback, critiques, questions based off this conversation, please feel free to hit us up on social email, um, which can be found on our site. Um, just want to set that straight. Does that make sense, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. We, we're, we're looking at this as kind of, uh, I would say, like a jumping off point to to really kind of, I would say, validate your, you know, that, that, that thesis in which you, which you wrote. And so I think, you know, from this point on, we're going to have, we'd love to have conversations with folks, um, you know, in this format uh, to kind of engage on some of these uh, assumptions that we have and uh, see if there's, see if there's any validity behind it. Yeah. So let's jump into it. We have a pretty big vision of the future. Obviously we're bullish on, on Bitcoin and I think that's a good place to start is our motives at Great American Mining as a company. Obviously, number one, number one motive is to, is to run a profitable <laughs> company uh, and as efficiently and as profitably as, as possible. Um, just so happens that the, the oil and gas industry, particularly the waste gas situation, provides us an opportunity to, to acquire a low cost of power production to mine Bitcoin relatively cheaply compared to the rest of the Bitcoin mining market. Um, this is good, we believe. So obviously that helps us become more profitable, but then on top of that, we're Bitcoiners. Uh, we do believe in the power of Bitcoin. We strongly believe that it is an idea that is not going away. You cannot kill an idea. Uh, it is something that is here to stay. Uh, we have a, we like to think we have a good understanding. Again, nobody's an expert in this stuff, but uh, quite a few members of the team have been around Bitcoin for quite a while. and. Um, understand the the uh, nature of the protocol and what actually makes it strong and, and the fundamentals um, that make it strong have only gotten stronger over the years. We um, basically believe this is going to be around for some time um, and we can help that. So at Great American Mining, we want to help the Bitcoin network. We, we're believers. We uh, believe that it is imperative in the digital age that you have a, a, a money that is separate from governments and um, central banks, just so uh, you don't get swept into a digital panopticon. Um, and so one way we can help the Bitcoin network is distributing hash rate geographically. The more geographically dispersed Bitcoin mining is, the harder it is to shut down the network at all. And up to this point in Bitcoin's history, it's 12 years old now, as of a couple weeks ago, um, mining is very publicly and um, notably been centralized mainly um, in areas mainly in China, but then outside of China, Iran, Russia, a few other places. And so it seems like United States Bitcoiners have been waking up in recent years and saying, hey, we should bring hash rate over to North America. And uh, that is part of our goal here at Great American Mining as well. Obviously, we want to a profitable business, but we're Bitcoiners at heart as well. We want to help the network become as robust and resilient as possible and, and, and plugging in miners on American soil and distributing that hash rate production um, is a great way to contribute to the Bitcoin network in our view. Do you have anything to add to that point? Tom? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, the, one of the more important things that we're going to, that w what we're going to see as a trend moving forward is, um, you know, we saw it a little bit with when we first started being coming more public it was very clear that the and i think i think i saw someone tweet you about this uh, the other day was the aesthetics of bitcoin mining did you see that tweet i don't think so no 
Oh, it was very, it was, it was, it was, it was a pretty cool point. But basically you said like the aesthetics of Bitcoin mining, I'm paraphrasing it, um, is like a very attractive feature and that it actually helps people get over uh, some of these hurdles. And I think uh, for us, um, you know, hey, we're mining on gas flare fields. Okay, whatever. Most people, especially on the coast, have no idea what that means. They don't even, it's like a foreign concept. But we posted a homemade video that, you know, one of our guys took just kind of in haste, leaving the location one night. And it's become kind of our, I don't know, flagship video. Like it's it's almost to the point where like we play it all the time and it's just like, oh gosh, when are we going to have another video on there? But it so accurately shows um viscerally like what is going on there I mean, you can feel the power through the video of, of, of the machines working away um you know you see at the end the flare stack um where it normally has three flares going full steam that one of them uh is pretty much you know uh not going which means that gas is being consumed by the generator and so it's just a very clear picture um i think the more that you see these uh type of deployments on oil and gas fields it will become just a permanent fixture but i think just aesthetically it will it will it will just show um that there it's 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 taking away the waste which is which is so clear what the uh you know the flares do yeah that's one of my favorite parts of one of the presentations we've given in the past is we have pictures of uh, two flare stacks right before we plugged in our generators for for our first deployment after the prototype um, and then a picture like an hour after the generators were plugged in the miners were all um, warmed up and, and turned on and this flare stack on the right was completely reduced to nothing it was just one one stack and that like you said that visceral visual representation of the, the reduction of flare immediately after the box is plugged in is is very powerful um, yeah. And it's, and it's a waste reduction too. Like, you know, I, I love that we're doing flare reduction slash mitigation, whatever you want to call it, that's a byproduct, but really what we're after. And I think that this is one of the more powerful, you know, kind of Bitcoin mining memes is that for the most part, Bitcoin miners are chasing, uh, abundant waste energy because that's ultimately where the cheapest energy is going to be found. And there's no better use case than what we're doing uh, to prove that out. So it really also helps at the same time blunt the arguments by no coiners in terms of like, you know, it's boiling the oceans. There was like three posts on Twitter yesterday, just absolute like lunacy uh, while they're typing away on their, you know, their iPhones that were made, uh, you know, <laughs> with probably much more, you know, CO2, CO2 footprint um, at the time. But, you know, that that blunts that argument completely. Um, the fact that we're we're not hurting your your grid. Um, yeah, there are Bitcoin miners that do that. But that's like it, I think that's the, the transition that you're excited about is this innovative, this innovation component, because prior to like if you go back 2016, 2017 and you read all the Bitcoin mining FUD articles, there were articles from upstate New York, Washington State, uh, Canada, um, all over the United States where municipalities had some arbitrage opportunities to where folks could come in and buy cheap electricity and they were coming in and, and mining in like industrial locations. And it ended up having a net negative impact um, in those situations where, where they even created ordinances and local mandates that it couldn't happen anymore. That was like, I look at it, that is like pre 
having, you know, S9 generation, you know, you had folks just trying to figure things out. Now we're seeing this new kind of age that we're in post having, where it's going to require a lot more um, power and, and, and most importantly, cheap power to do what we want, which is to secure the Bitcoin network. And in doing that, it's forcing people to go after wasted um, power, which now is being seen as more of an off-grid or in some cases like a, a battery bank type thing for folks with like, uh, you know, demand response type programs on their grid, which ultimately is better for everyone. Yes, it helps us. It's going to help us do many things and help secure grids by making sure that demand is met consistently. Uh, it's going to eliminate waste in the fields. And that's something we're going to get to and highlight that, that waste elimination, not only elimination, but eliminating it. And in the process, creating a very profitable revenue stream um, is a very powerful concept that we'll get into. Uh, but like all this stuff combined, like there's so many layers to this uh, that at face value, maybe like, oh, this is pretty cool. But when you when you think about the the externalities um, that that come into play and the the ripple effects that happen because opportunity costs are completely adjusted, this is this is part of the piece that I wrote yesterday that actually was like an aha moment for me, just trying to think of what we're doing and and how it changes the nature of business planning for potentially for producers in the future, like because the opportunity costs. Are completely adjusted. Like when a producer, um, before Bitcoin mining, uh, we would ask, "All right, should we build a pipeline? How many flare stacks do we need? Are we going to do an LNG compressor? Um, are we going to vent any of this? Like, what is what is the the framework of operation in which we can work?" And now, Bitcoin mining is another variable that's been added, and it completely adjusts the opportunity cost and the, and the decisions that producers are making on a day to day basis. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great kind of visualization. I think, you know, one of the memes that caught that was very powerful with me, like, you know, pre pump, you know, 2016, 2017 was Bitcoin is eating, you know, fill in the blank. And, you know, uh, we see that we've seen that with, you know, within industries, we see it like eating into the gold market into all these other kind of capital um, kind of criterias. However, now we're seeing it kind of, as you just explained, as this it's first of all initially when when we started in uh you know there's a couple others as well crusoe um was early in this steve barber was early in this a couple other small guys as well um it was very much a niche thing only to allow uh flare reduction it was not seen as a way to actually harness value but just like in other industries, it starts out with taking a very small little slice in terms of it's kind of a disruptive innovation in that sense, because like you said, the opportunity costs are, are, are kind of flipped on its on its head. And it just started as just like, oh, it's a nice little, you know, you know, this little box out there. And then, you know, given what's going on with the market and, and everything else that's going on in this world, now you have very, 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 very large energy companies who are looking at this as a potential way to uh, extract more value. And I think what ends up happening is like Bitcoin is coming to eat uh, major swaths of the entire 
um, value chain in oil and gas, but people don't realize it yet. There are people that actually do, um, and they're going to be very much ahead of the curve. Yes. Like, for example, you think of the Keystone XL thing and people are losing their minds because of that. But in reality, um, it's sort of a waste. Like, there should be a better way to get value out of that pipeline up in Canada instead of sending it down here, uh, you know, for, for an arbitrage play because we're cheap buyers of that gas. Um, you know, we have plenty of gas up here. We can use it. Or when I say up here, I mean in America that we can use efficiently. And um, and unfortunately, because there's so much natural gas in North America, there it isn't very valuable. Um, we believe that once not just more adoption takes place, but I would just say more innovation takes place um, on like the efficiency of miners, efficiency of gensets, uh, carbon neutral uh, power generation, um, all kinds of things where it could you could make it uh, very, I wouldn't say affordable, but uh, value kind of lines up with doing very, very large scale uh, mining that literally reduces the need for a pipeline only except only in extreme circumstances. Yeah, it's, and again, the, while this is extremely disruptive, to sort of tie it back to the theme of this episode and will could potentially at scale. We strongly believe this is going to be adopted by the industry um, just because of the economic incentives, the opportunity, again, the opportunity costs have been adjusted and the opportunity cost of not using this waste gas to mine Bitcoin and flaring it instead is, is simply too high at this point. Again, at gam.ai, if any of you are in the oil industry and are listening to this podcast, learning about Bitcoin for the first time. Sorry if uh, there's a lot of technical talk and it's a little dense, but I promise uh, over time via osmosis, you'll you'll come to know and understand what we're talking about. But uh, I think something that's very cut and dry and it does a great job of, of illustrating the opportunity, literally the economic opportunity for producers is our gas to hash calculator. So you can go in, uh, if you have a flare stack that's flaring 500 MCFD, you plug that in. Um, if you even if you are getting it to uh, market and you have a net back, you plug that in. You pick your certain miner, um, and it shows you how how profitable uh, that those gas molecules can be going through a gen set and mining Bitcoin instead of being combusted into the air or even sent to the market and I haven't checked it in the last couple days, but um, I believe the last I saw like 500 M CFD, um, 1100 BTU to scuff uh, using a what's minor M 20 S the value of that gas was still like 15 X Henry hub price. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, that has been, I think the, probably the key differentiator between us and other folks that are out there doing that is like, we believe that we should work ourselves out of a job. Um, you know, right now we're self-mining for ourselves, but ultimately we're not the most incentivized uh, to do this right now. It's the actual producers and mineral rights holders who are the most incentivized to kind of embrace this and, and make investment in this because they have the most to gain. Um, so that's been part of our, whatever you want to call it, marketing or, or just 
honestly, like we believe so much in like, we're like, you know, we, we love Bitcoin and we believe that in the long-term future of Bitcoin. So it is beneficial for Bitcoin to be adopted by hundreds of oil and gas operators all throughout this country, um, just for the sheer um, value it would create in terms of uh, providing security for the network in a distributed manner. Yeah. And in the process, producers can can profit as well. So going back to the resiliency that Bitcoin mining can add, and not just to be evangelists and saying, you should adopt Bitcoin because it's virtuous and it's good and we love it and you should too. We could certainly give you that spiel, but we're, we're going to attack this from an economic perspective. The money that can be made, again, with gas that would otherwise be simply wasted is too too large to pass up. And again, going back to resiliency and, and harping back to, to 2020 in the year um, that that was for the oil and gas industry, again, it laid bare a lot of vulnerabilities and uh, fragility in the industry specifically. I had a good conversation with um, Tracy Shukart, also known as Shy Girl on Twitter. She's, a, she's an oil and gas analyst, market analyst, and... Um, yeah, we talked about the the misallocation of capital throughout the industry that has been driven by access to easy credit and then uh, a a need to basically create volumes of of oil and gas that allow you to to make up for the reduction um, in oil prices over the last decade. Um, it's sort of a doom loop, but uh, I would say it's. It's creating a, a, a feedback loop that, that is not good and somebody needs to throw a wrench in that feedback loop. And Bitcoin mining with wasted resources is the wrench, we believe. So instead of having to take out a bunch of loans to drill new, drill new wells and, and hope that you're able to, to get that, that fuel to market uh, while prices are, are still relatively elevated, um, you now have an option to drill less because you can do something with your waste gas and create a profitable revenue stream that, that again, adjusts the opportunity cost and, and changes the decisions that need to be made. And so you have an alternative revenue stream, not only that, but an alternative revenue stream that is a separate service. Oil and gas is, is a service that's demanded 24 seven, 365. I think it, it's safe to say there's somebody always using a combustion engine at some point in the day across the world. Um, that has very um, demand uh, characteristics that are specific to that market. Uh, the demand for gas fluctuates again last year, got crushed by the economic lockdowns. So with adding Bitcoin mining, you're adding a separate alternative revenue stream that is for another service that's demanded 24-7, 365, which is confirming transactions on the Bitcoin blockchain. And it is driven by different factors than the oil and gas market. So you're, you're, you're diversifying uh, macro risk while you're adding this revenue stream to, to your business. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Uh, I think, you, you know, I don't know if you've said it or, or just been popular, but, you know, Bitcoin is the currency of energy. And um, it's slowly, because of its properties, it's slowly going to, now I won't even say slowly, it's happening, you know, right now because, Along with all of those things that you just mentioned, you have this added feature that you have this transparent ledger now that makes this weird gray area 
of uh, royalties and uh, you know market prices, all of that stuff gets erased with Bitcoin. So we, you know, in the future, we could live in a world where, because in a lot of situations, the money that gets derived from these oil and gas rights, it, it, there is a trickle down effect. It goes into communities. It goes, especially like on. Um, you know, reservation land, uh, BLM land, it ends up trickling into rural areas. And um, when it's wasted, that means those areas don't, those are the ones that get most affected. Um, and so, you know, there's a, a future where, you know, in theory, these people can be getting paid in Bitcoin in the future. Um, and it can be all very easily divisible. It can be very transparent. There's no weird middle layer where you're waiting six months to get a royalty check from your producer. I don't know if you've ever gone down that rabbit hole, but there's all kinds of lawsuits and, you know, uh, of people, you know, royalty rights owners or mineral rights holders trying to, you know, get their money that they're owed. Um, so we believe that Bitcoin actually creates a better ecosystem um, or a settlement layer for all of this business to take place. It's almost like it's perfect for it. And I think we're going to get into the heady energy producers will be central banks of the future theory in the first episode, but you're sort of leading me in that direction, Tom. Yeah. I mean, I think you can make a case uh, at some layer. I, I, you know, maybe people will turn off as soon as they hear this term, but <clears throat> there is an element of how Bitcoin can be derived how Bitcoin can drive so derive so much value uh, for these minerals that you can make a case that, you know, people talk about UBI and we're seeing like this crazy influx of cash that's going to be distributed here in this next administration for quote unquote unemployment benefits. But well, where's that money coming from? How is value being created from where that money is coming from? Um, if these people were actually serious about that, they would look very uh, hard at like, how do, how do you create some type of value or wealth to be distributed in that sense? If the, you know, uh, I could make an argument that like the greatest UBI program that's ever existed is out of the state of Alaska. And it's based off the, the oil, oil mineral rights that gets distributed to every man, woman, and child there. It doesn't, it doesn't discriminate against what color you are, what you believe in any of those things. It's the people's uh, money. And it's not just money that just can get magically printed. It's money derived from a uh, very specific value. And I think, um, you know, in the future, um, if Bitcoiners want to like own the Green New Deal kind of meme, I, I think someone talked about it's the new orange deal. I think, you know, uh, with this whole central banking thing, I think that ties into it. I do. I do as well. So we're touching on a, a, a couple of things here. I'll start with the central bank theory since we mentioned it, but then after that, I want to go into environmental stewardship and, and how Bitcoin mining really helps the industry from a PR perspective in the, in the face of all the ESG movements and uh, climate change, uh, climate change hysteria. I don't want to say hysteria to, to insult anybody, but the climate change, uh, People like to throw their arms up, up about it. This, this certainly helps. We'll get to that, but staying and elaborating on what Tom just mentioned. So there is, I believe, so I just to let any of you who are listening to this first time and don't know who I am, I have a background um, in in finance and worked studied economics in college and then worked for a managed futures fund uh, out of college and, and followed 
currency markets um, and, and had to write about why markets were, were trading the way they were um, and sort of tie news into that as well. Um, and so like understanding particularly currency markets and how uh, the central banks around the world work and most specifically how the Federal Reserve works and uh, access to its its window works and how, how primary members of the Federal Reserve system interact with that Fed window. That is where, that is the source of money creation uh, in, in the United States is, is the Fed will buy assets from banks that banks can then hold in their reserves and lend out as cash at some point in the future if they, if they decide to lend it out. Um, so it's a very small window with very limited access um, by people that, that have to get credentialed. And it's, there's a good argument to be made. I'm sure a lot of Bitcoiners make this argument that this is inherently unethical. And uh, it would point to your Guido Holzman's book, the, the Ethics of Money Production. And they would, they would say this federal reserve banking system with a window for money creation distribution this small with only so few me members able to access it is inherently unethical. Um, and then they would say Bitcoin is completely different. Like anybody who is able to acquire a, a mining device that can connect to the Bitcoin network and solve a hash cash SHA-256 hashing algorithm has access to the Bitcoin blockchain, the potential to add a block of transactions and be rewarded Bitcoin for that service. Completely, so when you're comparing Bitcoin and so the protocol is the Federal Reserve at the end of the day, everything's written in code. Um, and the window of access is open to anybody who can get access to this hardware, plug it in and, and start trying to add blocks to the ledger. So that comparing the Fed window to Bitcoin's window of distribution uh, of the supply, uh, it's completely more open. Instead of primary member banks only getting access, you have any individual in the world uh, who's so willing to 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 attempt to mine Bitcoin, which is game changing in and of itself. And so, again, with that now being the reality, and as Tom and I have been describing throughout this episode, Bitcoiners, Bitcoin miners specifically, are on a quest for for cheap, abundant energy so they can mine as much Bitcoin as possible. We believe that oil and gas producers here in North America are going to be some of the largest Bitcoin miners in the world, and eventually. The, the whole banking stack is going to emanate from Bitcoin mining operations and via mining pools, which will create the primitives of a new financial system um, that, that, that is run on the Bitcoin network and predominantly protected by members in the energy sector here in North America, predominantly the oil and gas sector. Um, so that's like our long-term thesis, the, the power over money production and distribution via Bitcoin mining um, is going to shift from the Federal Reserve to energy producers. And then a whole financial stack will be built from there. Do you think that overlaps at all with uh, how Finney's vision of Bitcoin banks or, it, or those kind of like completely different thoughts? So, so Hal Finney, for those of you who are unaware, was an one of the first Bitcoin users, he was the first person actually to ever receive a transaction outside of a Coinbase reward. Um, and he, he, Satoshi sent him Bitcoin, I believe, 10 days into Bitcoin's existence. Um, Hal um, 
worked on Bitcoin for a few years, unfortunately passed away uh, from ALS. And he had a post on December 30th, 2010 on BitcoinTalk.org uh, describing uh, his belief that due to the limitations of the Bitcoin network at the protocol level and how much data you can fit into each block and how much transactions you can fit into each block that the Bitcoin at the protocol level would act as a reserve system, a settlement layer, which I think many Bitcoiners agree is advantageous in, in the way uh, the, the protocol layer should be viewed today and moving forward. And that Bitcoin banks would be created on, on top of the protocol layer and they would basically hold Bitcoin and issue their own currencies. So he, he described like a, a quasi free banking system, like the one that existed in Canada in the, the 1800s. So free banking systems basically allow private banks to compete with each other. They, they usually hold reserves in the, in the Canadian system of silver and gold, and then they would attach their own private bank notes to their reserves and lend and give out cash to their, their customers. Each currency had a different interest rate. Some were interchangeable with other private banks. Some others weren't. Um, but it existed. It was successful for for a period of time. Um, and so Hal's vision is applying Bitcoin to to that um, that system that existed in Canada, I believe. So he he believes that there will be um, Bitcoin private banks that that issue their own private currencies to users that then use. Uh, I'm not sure if this vision and that vision align perfectly. I actually have more faith, and maybe hey, Hal seems to be much smarter than I, but I, I don't think Hal could afford seeing something like the Lightning Network and other things that are allowing um, individuals to do things with their Bitcoin while maintaining custody. Um, so when I think about a financial stack being built from a mining, uh, with the mining operation being the base, so you have the mining operation contributing hashes to a mining pool, which is a bunch of mining operations um, amassing hash to to mine more Bitcoin and, and get more consistent rewards. Uh, every individual miner gets paid out after after a block is mined in the pool, um, commensurate with the amount of hash rate they're contributing. Um, but then from there, you can create like hash rate markets and and sell future hash rate to to. Uh, speculators who want to get access to the Bitcoin market and another way than just buying the token straight up. Um, and so you can, I think, and then when you add lightning payouts to the mix there, like streaming payments to individuals, I don't think you're going to need the, the, the private currencies on top of Bitcoin. I could be wrong. I think you could do everything in sats is what I tend to believe. Very cool. I'm sorry I went on that rant of Canadian banking and that's all right. We have Canadian we have Canadian freaks that listen, so I'm sure I'm sure they'll be enthused by that, considering what they're dealing with right now. All right. If you're still with us for 47 minutes in. I'm sorry if that got a little too and I I, I warned you guys, I said Tom pushed me towards the the miners being central bankers of the future. And we went down that rabbit hole, but we're going to pull ourselves back here. I mentioned it um, back to resiliency of the oil and gas industry and how Bitcoin can help there. And, and the environmental stewardship PR wave that, that the industry is experiencing right now, um, 
it really helps. It's like Tom and I mentioned the the, the visual effect of plugging uh, a mining container connected to a gen set next to a flare stack. Plugging that in and sucking that flare is it's I mean it's powerful to say the least. And so imagine a world and regulations are only getting stricter. We're up predominantly in North Dakota because that's where uh, here in the United States. The, the, the producers are, are under the most watch. In the Permian, it seems like Texas is moving to, to get stricter with flaring. So in terms of uh, Bitcoin mining, being able to make you more resilient from a PR perspective, you're, you're going to have the opportunity to reduce a lot of flares again and make money. So the flare that was a, 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 a weight on your balance sheet, basically sucking value out of your company, cannot be turned into something that is extremely profitable. And again, an alternative revenue stream for something that's demanded 24 seven, 365 with different demand factors than your, your main revenue stream. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, um, you know, one of the things that, uh, we believe in, in the future is, um, you know, this flipping that could potentially happen uh between gas and oil where these producers actually wake up one morning and realize oh wait a minute the actual valuable molecule that i have is the one that i thought was you know my essential essentially like the you know the ugly stepchild um out of the two so i still think we're 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 ways off from that happening um but the smart uh producers or i would i wouldn't even say producers i, I you know i'm I personally am of the opinion that a lot of these producers, because they're hardwired a certain way, um, will maybe not be the first ones to become the largest Bitcoin miners. I actually think you're going to see a lot of investment um, in the space where Bitcoin miners or energy professionals come in and specifically buy up um, oil and gas rights in areas where it, it makes sense. And exclusively mine bitcoin and choose not to send things into uh, or choose not to send their molecules into a pipeline um in you know thus like creating a, a little bit of a um a boat for themselves uh and, and going up and scooping up these properties that look like they're not worth anything to, to most oil and gas investors but in fact are extremely valuable uh given your you know your time preference and how you look at bitcoin as like you know, it's settlement layer or it's conversion layer, I would say to value. Yeah. Um, yeah. And staying on the, the environmental tip, like it, it seemed like we wanted to end it on this thread that Tom pulled up yesterday from uh, Fatih Biral from the international energy uh, agency. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your, your name wrong, Fatih. Um, but uh, the methane emissions from the oil and gas sector fell 10% in 2020, which is great, but comes with some nuance. Uh, it's not nearly as much as we probably should be capturing and, and, and using um, productively, potentially to mine Bitcoin. And that's just because I'm sure any of you in the oil and gas industry listening to this are obviously aware that the methane is extremely uh, worse for or it's it's worse for the atmosphere than than pure CO two emissions. So if we're able to um, run that methane through a EPA certified gen set um, 
and combust it instead of, of just having it potentially leak out of a flare stack on a windy day or something like that. Um, it is it is much more advantageous and, and better for the environment overall. So again, you, you have a solution in Bitcoin mining that presents a profitable alternative revenue stream that, that helps you check off all these boxes that'll make you more resilient from a balance sheet perspective, from a, uh, from a growth perspective, again, changing the opportunity costs and, and adjusting decisions on planning when it comes to drilling and um, piping gas to market. And now the, the energy, or excuse me, the environment mental side of things as well. You become more resilient in the eyes of the public because you are doing something material to reduce the waste in the industry. And so we'd actually love to get anyone's opinion on this, if this is a, a good goal to strive for, we believe it is, and something we should hone in on and, and start to try to measure more accurately is, is lowering the energy intensity index. So that's one thing we want to do and contribute towards at Great American Mining is making sure any uh, uh, we're increasing, decreasing the energy index, but essentially increasing the value created to society per joule combusted. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm of the opinion that the oil, the the more, so the three years kind of the crash course that I've gotten in the oil and gas industry was uh, very eye-opening for me from the perspective of how professionalized it is, how serious the uh, the people that work in this industry are about, um, you know, maintaining safety and, and stewardship. I mean, I've visited, you know, uh, thousands of miles worth of uh, oil fields, especially in, in North Dakota. Um, and you see how these properties have to be set up, which are on private owner's lands uh, to a specification. Um, they take great strides in promoting safety. And there's you know, unbelievable benefits that come from being able to pull these molecules out of the ground. 90% of the products that you're probably interfacing right now have some, you know, uh, source back from these petrochemicals. Uh, so it's a it's a very important component to how we live life right now. The one black eye that the one of the major black eyes that draws attention away from all the good things in the oil and gas industry is the flaring issue. And you know we believe that if you tackle the flaring issue head on from a capitalistic uh, standpoint, uh, you can have a greater uh, net I would say um, result from from that, and so like that's what we're trying to spearhead. We're not just looking at this from like a regulatory framework of like trying to like put you know locks on producers and saying oh this is the only way to deal with it. We we're saying look from a free market perspective, the people who invest in these in this type of infrastructure are going to be the most incentivized to deal with the flaring problem uh, in total, and that is one of the major like that one word incentives was used 13 times in the uh, report that's cited uh, on the IEA website. Uh, I believe the report is called Driving Down Methane Leaks from the Oil and Gas Industry, a Regulatory Roadmap and Toolkit. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty short read. It's actually pretty digestible over and over again. It talks about economic instruments and incentives specifically to deal with gas before uh, it gets into a pipeline and how to deal with it in that way, in a creative way. And ultimately, like we believe that, uh, you know, Bitcoin mining is absolutely provides the best way to deal with that incentive problem. So I'm glad the IEA understands most importantly, 
the driver that's going to allow for innovation to help in this particular issue. It's just a free market. And, and again, like any of you guys who may still be asking like, what is Bitcoin mining? Like how, how is this even possible? Like again, one of our, I don't want to say slogans, but something we say a lot again is we, we bring the market to the molecule and due to the nature of Bitcoin mining, these machines don't need a lot of internet bandwidth. The, the sending of hashes uh, to, to the peers in the network does not take a, a lot of bandwidth. And so we're able to show up where these wasted resources are, set up a generator, plug them into our miners, set up a satellite to communicate with the rest of the Bitcoin network. And it's pretty easy peasy. We can do it with very minimal um, footprint physical footprint on site and building these in 20 foot shipping containers, 40 foot shipping containers, depending on what a particular situation calls for. But we're working on stacking them and, and the ability to solve this problem without a crazy amount of infrastructure. It is expensive infrastructure. Um, but again, it's something that you plug in and it's cash flow positive immediately. And due to the nature of Bitcoin, um, the payback period on, on a per container base uh, basis is um, is something that could easily be stomached, especially when you consider the potential life cycle for these individual miners. Um, so, yeah, I think um, that it, it, I hope this was a educational podcast helps you get to know Great American Mining better, what we're doing, um, the the opportunity that we believe lies before us. Again, we think. The combination of Bitcoin miners and the oil and gas industry is a powerful one that will make both more resilient. Uh, Bitcoin mining hash rate will be more distributed. Miners will be more profitable because they're attaining cheaper cost of power production. Uh, and the, the, net, the Bitcoin network becomes overall more robust as a product. Alternatively, uh, producers are able to turn otherwise wasted resources into very profitable alternative revenue streams. Uh, they're able to protect themselves from uh, producers abroad that that are that are messing with supply schedules and stuff like that. You you make your company more resilient with more revenue streams. Uh, you sort of don't have to worry about that as much. You certainly, still have to worry about it, um, especially in the near term. But you, know, you can potentially make it so we don't have to worry about a um, March April situation of last year happening again. And then again, as we talked about towards the end of the episode. It makes uh, companies more resilient from a PR and environmental stewardship perspective. You're going to be actually doing something to um, to eliminate waste throughout the value chain. Um, so that's our pitch. That's a resiliency pitch. How do we do, Tom? It's pretty good. You know, I, I almost feel like you know that that we should like grow towards maybe even like having a conference like centered all around this this topic and, and bring together some of these uh industry leaders and and be, be able to mean this mean this thing into existence that's a good idea i'll think about that um right. i think hmm. that'd be I cool think, if we uh, could do something like that that would be pretty dope in person too it's got to be in person I'm, I'm done with the virtual conferences no mask no mask mask off um well i guess that's it i don't know how to end this podcast i uh, i have another podcast that i host and it has a taglines to, to begin and end the show this is this is new this is real i haven't thought of anything for this how do we, how do we end this time 
uh let's see is there any type of there there's like a couple terms that you you would use during our um uh our weekly webinars there was like a uh, like a quote from is it either henry ford or one of those one of those guys it was very very poignant um so maybe we can just kind of buckminster fuller yeah let's let's hear it get into it with that you you don't change an existing paradigm by working within it, as a paraphrase at this point you change it by completing a completely new system outside of it that's what we're doing instead of uh instead of relying on basically regulators not coming down on you for for flaring too much you, you're able to to completely eliminate that problem change the these perspectives through which you're you're viewing the solving of this particular problem um, think about Bitcoin. It is for a lot of people still, most people in the world probably uh, a, a taboo topic that um, scares. But again, I don't want to say trust us. That's a huge thing in the Bitcoin community. Community don't trust verify. Um, we're pretty confident that it's going to be around for a while and, and be beneficial to uh, the oil and gas industry and humanity overall. We can get into some deeper theories in, in later episodes. But yeah, let's change the paradigm. I guess we'll stop it on that. Nice. Thanks, Tom. Of course. Looking forward to doing these. Looking forward to uh, hearing you interview lots of folks in the oil and gas market as well. Yeah. So if there's any legit oil and gas market people who want to have conversations with me, please email my uh, my oil and gas contact Rolodex is not as robust as the as the Bitcoin. So I'm trying to make friends in the industry. If if you don't think I'm too stupid and, and want to have a conversation. Um, please, please feel free to reach out. Enjoy. Peace.